Hello everyone, how you doing? This is the Incremental Gains Podcast, helping you to improve on yesterday, every day. Today's episode is brought to you by The Beard Struggle. Whether it's a designer stubble you're sporting or a full Viking, The Beard Struggle can sort you out. For the listeners of the podcast, we have an exclusive discount code. Go to thebeardstruggle.com and type in incremental05 to get 15% off any other products. Today's episode, I sat down with Rob Greenolf, a philosophy, religion and ethics teacher. We discuss metaphysics, stoicism, religious myths. I really enjoyed this conversation. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave your review and subscribe to the channel and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Incremental Gains. Thanks for listening. See you soon. So um, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us. I'm interested to where this conversation is going to go. But um, the reason why I wanted you to come on, I'm, I'm trying to talk to loads of different interesting people who have got something interesting to say. The reason why I started Incremental Gains, which is my community interest company, it was inspired by um, a quote from Masashi, the Book of Five Rings. And the quote is, um, today is a victory over yourself of yesterday. Tomorrow is a victory over lesser men. And it's inspired incremental gains. The tagline for incremental gains is improve on yesterday, every day. So trying to get better, whether that's just 1%, trying to improve your life every day. And as that builds up, just small little incremental gains build up. And by six months time, it's compounded. It's it's extrapolated and you've improved yourself, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally. And the whole way of improving yourself, you've got to step out of your comfort zone, I think, anyway. Nothing... You don't learn anything from staying in your lane or staying comfortable. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. I've always had a, an interesting philosopher and kind of um, theories behind things and why things are and all that. Um, so that's why I've got yourself on today to talk about philosophy. And um, I didn't realise metaphysics was a philosopher, to be honest. I thought it was a, a science, but you can explain all that to us. So anyway, Rob, I appreciate you coming on talking to us. Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. So, you teach metaphysics. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm the head of uh, philosophy and ethics at uh, Turton School in Bolton, um, and we teach philosophy and ethics. So it's philosophy is like a huge, huge subject that branches off into loads of loads of different areas. So you you know you have uh, we teach the ethics part of it. We teach a little bit of uh, metaphysics. We look at philosophy of religion. Um, so it's it's like it's quite a huge huge branch of things but um but yeah i know you were interested you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about metaphysics yeah it being you know probably something that people people hear and they think it sound, kind of sounds sciencey and and it kind of is in that way but it's uh it's it's again it's that can branch off into loads of different areas as well that you could talk about so so is that like i know we discussed it briefly before we started recording so quantum physics is something that i think a lot of people might have heard of and don't really yeah. understand is that not the same as metaphysics then? I have, I have real no understanding of quantum physics whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't really talk about quantum physics at all. But uh, but met- metaphysics is 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 not really um, a branch of science as much as it's a branch of philosophy. It deals with um, what you call first principles. So um, 
if, if you like, I was trying to explain it when I was explaining it to like the, the, the kids at school and we're trying to introduce it to them and, and our, on our A-level students who are, who are studying it. They, we talk about um, science, if, if physics is the tree, then metaphysics is the roots of that tree. Um, and if you like in a, in a pre-science world, which is where you find a lot of metaphysics in, in history, right. before you add a real scientific understanding of the world, you add people just thinking about science and trying to come to an understanding of the world around them by thought experiment because they didn't have the tools for real experiment. So, so things like um, Newton's laws of motion are considered metaphysics. So, you know, he's a, considered one of the greatest scientists, physicists of all time, but his, you know, his, his, his fundamental theories, his principles that, that underlie it, the first principles of his science we call metaphysics. So is so, that, would that be, try and understand it a little bit more, would that be, so, he understands what's happening, but he, no, the science isn't understood behind what he's discovered. Is that the kind, kind of, of yeah, yeah? The the things that the things that are true through um, through thought experiment or, or observation. So, for example, like his first, Newton's first law of motion, which is still you know tr as true today as when he when he first wrote it, is no object is moved in itself but by another. In other words, like nothing can nothing can cause itself to happen. And that's just something that he observes from you know. For us, that sounds that sounds obvious. Um, in, you know, in a in a scientific world that we live in, but yeah. um, you know, all our principles of science are based on top of that, built on top of those fundamental, simple principles um, of metaphysics. So that's that's kind of where that comes from. But it's that that's just one kind of small small part yeah. of it. But that's the basic idea of metaphysics: is that it's the underlying principles that you build on top of. Right. So how, how do you how do you because treat me as one of your you what is it? A level standard is it? So, we, we do this uh, at all levels. We do it from year, uh, starting all the way down at uh, year seven, but we really study it in depth at A level. That's when we really get so, into it. Tap me way below that then. Tap me as like <laughs> year, year one. <laughs> How do you start to introduce these these principles and then to like a year seven student? What sort of things you start looking at? So, um, I mean, with the, with the really young ones, because it's so abstract, um, yeah. it's you've got to kind of have a little bit of a hook with it as well. Um, but one of the... I think one of the, the the most important parts of metaphysics is is where you look at knowing. So it's really like the four branches of it: are time, space, knowing, and identity. Um, so knowing is is kind of like where philosophy begins. It's like the actual word itself, philosophy, means the love of knowledge. Philo is like Platonic love, and then Sophia uh, right. is knowledge. So it's um, and Socrates, who's kind of the main, um, often thought of as the founder of modern philosophy. Yeah, but really good you could argue about that but um he basically said that you know he's, he's trying to argue where where knowledge comes from what our knowledge is and he said the famous quote of um, all i know is that i know nothing which i think is a really important thing to instill in the kids straight yeah. away so i always i always start with um with the idea of that every, everything that you think you know how much have you really questioned that how much have you really Ask yourself the question of how sure you are, and that's basically what Socrates did. He's one of the one of the only philosophers that never wrote anything down. Uh, oh. All we know about him is, is what his student Plato wrote down, um, and he went on to start. And then his student Aristotle goes on to start the very first um, uh, university, the academy in in uh, in Greece, which is started studying philosophy. And the basically what Socrates was doing was going around asking people in the world of ancient Greece. How sure are you about what you know? Um, you know, people believed in the gods. People believed in, you know, that if I do this, then it will rain and we'll have a good harvest and you know yeah. things like that. 
yeah. and basically he was just going around asking people a simple question of why you know why why do you think that um and what he what he realized is that people really couldn't defend even the most basic of beliefs that they had and, and actually they were you know it, everything was based more on superstition than it than it was on belief and, and socrates was interested in founding a system um that was based on absolute knowledge and and working out what that even meant uh, and that's basically can what you that? can you relate that to like how we live now then in the current climate with all this like all the information coming at us you think mm. you know something but what actually can you do you know about what's happening at the moment and yeah. who we are and what's going on and that could you relate yeah. to it yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think it's probably more probably more relevant now than it than it ever has been that idea of all i know is that i, I know nothing um yeah. You know, we've got, I mean, you've got people who think the world is flat, <laughs> and, you know, um, and, you know, I mean, people even today, I mean, two, you know, 3000 years on from, from Socrates, you know, almost 3000 years on from him still have that same mentality of, you know, I'm right, which is, is, is in philosophy is a really, really dangerous mentality to, to have, which is, I absolutely know this. Um, yeah. And I think uh, my first philosophy teacher said something that sticks with me and I said it, I say it to all my students as well, which is, and it kind of, it kind of sounds bad when you say it like this and I do give a bit of an explanation with it and it's, it's nobody cares what you think. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of stuck with me, but he did finish that with, they only care what you can prove. And nice. uh, I, I think that's really important is that, you know, there's a lot of this, it, and you know, one of the first things I tell them is, is that, and it's, it's you know, nobody is cares what you think. Where, is that kind of where any laws came from then and courts and stuff like that then? Cause that's an important part of the justice system, isn't it? That yeah, you know, what you can prove, we don't care what you know. Knowing's not enough. You need to be able to prove it. Has that affected that at all? I don't know why I just suggested. I'm sure it has. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it has. I think philosophy's like kind of, you know, branched out into loads of different areas of um, areas of society. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that um, that is probably still as relevant as when when it was first said. Um, so I, I start with that and then um, obviously you want to then give them something a bit more concrete. It's not good enough just to say nobody cares about your opinion. <laughs> Get out! No one cares! So, you know, it's, it's, it's where do we go with that then and, and what does that mean? And I think one of the uh, one of the best ways of, of showing them that what they think they know actually might not really be the case is, is to look at um, philosophy of perception, which is an aspect of metaphysics. Um, so have you, have you ever thought about colour, for example? Like the uh, have you ever heard the philosophy of colour? Because I know you looked a little bit of philosophy. Um, oh, I've read, I've read, and this might be total bullshit. You, you'll be able to correct me when I'm wrong. Um, so I was reading something a while ago that whenever we see a rainbow, we're the only person who actually sees that rainbow because colour only exists because of our retina and the the light going through the the rain droplets. So colour only exists when there's someone looking at it is that is that a yeah, correct exactly yeah exactly that right so it's um the the idea of uh like coloring you know co what color essentially is is a internal projection it's you it's your brain interpreting you know the different parts of the um of the of the color spectrum so like you know when you look at a rainbow the um this again science is not my strong point <laughs> but when a <laughs> light shines through a, a water droplet it refracts and exposes all the color that's that's hidden within that but really it doesn't it doesn't necessarily exist in the outside world it exists only when like you said when it hits your retina and you get that internal projection of color so um 
I always get them to say, you know, I hold up different coloured things and I'm like, you know, what, what colour is that? And they'll go red and, you know, the, what colour is this? And we'll sell blue, etc. Um, but then we'll say, well, how do you know that, how, how have you learned how to give that name to that colour? It's just a, it's just a name that you ascribe to it. Your mum, you, you know, your mum and dad sat you down when you were little and said, this is blue, this is red, yeah. this is green. But is there any real way of determining that my perception of blue isn't you know that when i look at blue i see your version of beige or when you look at red you yeah. see because ultimately like we said because it's only an internal projection we call it qualia in philosophy in independent say that again qualia. q q u a l i a qualia right. and it's uh, it basically means um things that are incommunicable you can't i can't i can't ex like for example if you're trying to explain the color blue like yeah. if you try yeah, yeah. You can't describe blue, you can't describe red. You end up saying weird things like, you know, it's the colour of the sky or it's warm or it's cold. Yeah. And uh, if you, you know, if you have somebody who was blind, who's been blind from birth, who's never been able to see colour, there is nothing you could say. There's no language you could use to make yeah. someone, make that person experience that colour in the mind. So, to try and bring it down to my level so I can understand it. Say I'm describing the colour, the sky's a colour blue, what I see in the sky might not be the colour that you particularly see in the sky. Uh, yeah, I might see your I might see your version of green, but there's no way I could we could ever determine that that's what we're seeing. If I look up the you know if I look up at the sky and I see blue and I've always learned to call that colour blue. Um but because I can't communicate the concept of blue to you um, and you can't communicate your version of blue to me, there's no way of determining that we that we see the exact that we're perceiving the exact same thing and it's there's, there's other things that are qualia as well but i think color is probably the best example there's a, there's a great youtube channel of a, of a guy who's been uh, blind since birth right. um and he talked he talks about this and how people have tried to communicate colors with him for um for you know basically his whole life and tried to say this is what red looks like or feels like or you know things like that and he's, he's never and never will you know unless he miraculously gains sight back he'll never experience yeah. he'll never experience color so um, I think like one of those is you know, kids find that really weird, and some you you, can, you see some people thinking. Yeah, I you know, find it really weird. It's but I can't get my head <laughs> off. <laughs> so is it is another example? Because um, another thought experiment that I've read up a little bit about is, and it's like it's it's an old kind of cliche you hear it all the time. But if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make mm -hmm. any sound? And again, sounds a similar thing to sight in it, where it needs, it's it's disrupting the airwaves. Again, I'm not a scientist, so this isn't going to be right. But the tree falls, it makes disruptions in the in the air. But if there's no ear there to to hear it, then yes, yeah, it's, it's the similar, yeah, it's the same kind of problem. I always forget who that is. It might be Confucius. That I, can't, I always forget who, who put that problem forward. But I've read it, but I've read it in one of the books. Yeah, I've read yeah. It's quite a famous statement in philosophy, but yeah, it's basically the exact same thing. It's the it's the same problem. It's qualia. It's it's the we call it the explanatory gap um, right. in philosophy, which is is a really hard one to bridge. Which is you know I'm trying to basically get across to the kids what I'm explaining it, which is that your um your perception of the world, you are concrete in your knowledge of it. Like Socrates says, you know, like you know, what do you really know? How much do you how much can you really prove of what you know? And we you know we walk around thinking we can that we're for certain that our perception of the world is exactly the same perception that other people are getting, that our, you know, our version of the outside world is, is, yeah. is your version of the outside world is the same as my version, is the same as Jim's version. Um, mm -hmm. 
but actually it's not it, it might not be that simple um we all have you know these internal projections that we that we can't communicate maybe you know maybe it's a failure of language maybe our language will evolve to a certain point where i can effectively communicate blue or sound yeah. or you know what my version of, of my internal experience is but but um it's, it's interesting the... that um something that i spoke about in a, another episode that we did was uh, there's a book that I've read by Stephen R. Covert, who's like a bit of a self-help guru. And in one of his chapters, there's a chapter called Understand Before Being Understood. So when if I'm talking to you now, instead of me just projecting all my beliefs and my values on you, I want to try and understand where you've come from before I make myself understood. So that is like trying to understand your model of the world. So yeah, yeah. similar to what we just spoke about, understanding why your values are your values, why your beliefs are your beliefs. Then I can start to understand you, and then you'll be able to understand me. Then, because, like you say, everyone's got a different. What's what's there is no reality, only the perception of reality. Something like that, isn't it? That yeah, yeah. my model of the world isn't your model of the world because of the way we've been brought up, our influences. So I think it's important for people to understand whether that's from a philosophical level or just just in relationships in general that yeah, the way yeah. I see the world is not the way you're going to see the world or some somebody else even at the most fundamental level it's not it's not the same yeah yeah not in terms of your experiences your upbringing and all that but even maybe at the absolute most fundamental level of your literal perception of the world is not it's not the same so yeah yeah. i think that's probably you know that's that's one of those things that you know gives people a headache when they think about it and you know you don't you don't doesn't it i mean um there's a there's a famous saying by tony robbins that confusion precedes learning so when you're confused about something, it's the state before you actually start to learn something, unconscious incompetence or whatever, something something along those lines. But uh, it should blow your head off because like you should be thinking about thing these things. You should be trying to um, kind of like build your brain up to to be able to handle these kind of questions and these thoughts and that as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, even just as a thought experiment is pretty useful because it's just like um, you know, it, it's not the most useful in terms of practical application. You know, I can't. It's <laughs> I'm not going to run around and start uh, start trying to explain blue to people desperately, yeah. and you know, it's. Uh, I think it's pretty useful just as a thought experiment because it's a different way of thinking. Um, philosophy that kind of hyper analytical uh, way of looking at things is probably just a, a decent. I, I know you've been looking at the Stoics a lot, though, right? In terms of you know actual because i mean the joke of metaphysics is that it's entirely non-practical and useless <laughs> but that's you know stoicism stoicism's not though is it i mean stoicism is yeah. designed to be useful that's that's kind of like the whole the whole point of it so i mean yeah. what, what, what have you been looking at specifically with uh with stoicism so i started looking at stoicism i, I was in the uh, ministry of defense police for about 11 years i moved down to reading when i was 20 23 spent 11 years in the mod police um Moved back in 2015, so moved back to St. Helens in 2015. And uh, similar to the conversation we had with Jamie last week, uh, but like the conversation was was about Jamie, it wasn't about me. But similar to what he experienced, I had a, a loss of identity, really. When I came out of the police, and I was like Dave. My identity was Dave, who moved down south when he was 22, left St. Helens, got a pretty good job, served in the MOD police. That was my identity. So when I came out... I was like, well, who am I now? You know what I mean? Because I'm not Dave who's in the police anymore. I'm 30. How old was I? 30. 35 years of age. What do I do now? Who am I? And um, to st- I can't remember how I got introduced to it, but um, I started looking at Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, 
Yeah. Um, well, they're the main two, aren't they? They're your main two Stoics. Yeah. So I started reading Marcus Aurelius, and I got I bought the book of Meditations. And at the time, I was like, "This is this is crap. I don't understand any of it whatsoever." Um, until I read into it, and I realised what it was. That I mean, you you probably know more about it than I will, but it's it's his own little personal journal. It was never meant to be published. And bear in mind, for those anybody who's watching, Marcus Aurelius was the most powerful man in the world at the time, the the, the emperor of the Roman Roman army and all that, wasn't it? And he, uh, he he wrote that book uh, in his tent at night, didn't he? When he was fighting, uh, you know, Germanic yeah. on the edge of the yeah, known world. And, uh, and I find it, find it fascinating that for a man with so much power and influence, you read this book and the thoughts that he's putting down are really like humble, and he's trying to connect with the people he's trying to obey laws of nature he's really like humble and, and and that kind of thing and reading through some of the passages um i started to to get a few things out that i was i was experiencing and then i started going on to seneca because that was influenced by tim ferris i listened to tim ferris's podcast and he's a big stoic um so he introduced me to some of the letters what seneca written to his uh lucilius or whoever it is who he written the letters to and yeah that that kind of helped me discover well, who are you? And I was, I come to the conclusion that I'm not sort of my job. I'm not how much money we've got in the bank. And again, it's a cliche and all that, but I'm not the clothes that I wear. I'm, I'm the, I'm the energy that I put out in the world. So what, you know what I mean? I am like my thoughts and you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the work of, you know, Seneca and Aurelius as well, especially Marcus Aurelius's meditations is some of the most important work has ever been written in philosophy and like the manner in which he wrote it as well to think about what he produced and where he produced it is, it's is mad. yeah um and so, i think even though like you could argue that he written it like maybe two thousand years ago or whatever it was but it's still so relevant yeah. today and going like practical you can literally some of the passages are obviously he's talking about slaves and all that kind of thing that obviously isn't applicable today but the stuff about like anxiety and your thoughts, your perceptions, anxiety. What's one of the my favourite ones is today I escaped anxiety because I realised that it was within me all the time or something something along those lines. Paraphrasing, but yeah, that was. Yeah. They were really concerned with uh, with anxiety and anger. The Stoics. They were the, the two kind of things. I mean, uh, especially Seneca was uh, uh, was an advisor to Nero, um, Emperor Nero. It was almost the polar opposite of Aurelius. So like Marcus right. Aurelius. You know, magnanimous, and they were a man of the people, and you know, wrote this amazing works of philosophy. And Nero was a horrific dictator who, you know, oh, killed. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah, that. And, yeah, and eventually killed Seneca. He forced Seneca to commit suicide in front of his own family. It was uh, was that's how kind of Seneca came to an end. So there's it's a, not. There's not a, a famous. Uh, I can't remember what exactly it was, but Seneca, because he was such a stoic, when he was made to take his own life and commit suicide, he was still more concerned about his family. Yeah. Um, remaining calm and it's okay, like being like really objective about it. <laughs> yeah, he had a really, he had a bizarre quote. And he, he, like, it kind of sums up stoicism, but it's also like kind of a big misunderstanding of stoicism as well. He, I think, what did he say to his family now? It was something to the effect of, um, don't weep for parts of life. The whole of it calls for misery or some, something yeah. like that. <laughs> That's just kind of hit that stoic philosophy all over. But I think. Well, well can you talk people... a little? Can you talk a bit about that then? How it is so misunderstood? Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. You know, profess to be a, a 
expert in stoicism. I only, you know, I don't really study it that much. I only know from bits that I've read. Um, and Seneca, Seneca more than Aurelius, really. But um, I know that um, the the two main kind of areas that stoicism deals with is anxiety and anger. So they wanted they they were around in you know ancient Rome. I think it was um, around about six AD to sixty four AD. Um, yeah. Seneca was around, so in the time of uh, in the time of Nero, and the Romans were kind of like an angry, you know, fiery group of people. And I think he wanted to just kind of like calm that down a little bit. And <laughs> Seneca's philosophy became like really popular with the slave population, with the you know, with the the upper echelons of society it was it was popular with everybody because it kind of resonated with them but the i think when you explain it briefly it, it sounds really depressing and it sounds like a a really kind of uh, pessimistic philosophy but it's and then the further you kind of dig away at it you realize that it's really not and it's actually really useful especially for you know with the you know the problem of anxiety that people a lot of people have today don't they so um so i think um the fundamental principle of it is that hope is bad. <laughs> so when again, when you say it, when you say it like that, it, it really doesn't sound like a useful philosophy at all. It's yeah. you know um, when you know people try and cheer you up, no matter how you know um, you know how nice they are or how whatever you know how close they are as a friend, they'll say things like um, everything will be okay, everything will be fine, don't worry about it, things like that. Um, and that was the that was the enemy for, for Seneca and for Aurelius. That was that was the exact kind of thing that you wanted to, yeah, yeah hope, it, hope, because I think, um, what did he say now? It was uh, anger, anger and anxiety occur when hope, misplaced hope for the future smashes into the hard reality of life. Uh, basically, wow. some, basically something like that so i'm paraphrasing in there but that's the basic gist of it is that um you know it's everything will be okay and then it isn't and then that's where despair comes from because uh and you know the, the idea of stoicism is that it won't be okay it will probably be bad um yeah. you know if, you, if you're worried about you you know your job interview tell yourself that oh this is this isn't going to go well or yeah. you know at some point in my life this will happen you know um yeah. i think and, it's important to have that have that um object almost being objective with it so you say you go back to the example of a job interview it could go bad so you're not going to be that naive to think oh yeah this is going to be wonderful i'm going to get this job and that so if you think to yourself this could go bad but then objectively look at the things that because again a big thing of stoicism is controlling the uncontrollables yeah, yeah. sorry controlling the controllables so everything that you can control so you can control your preparation for that interview you can, can research the company that you're going for the interview for. You can inter you can research interview questions. So you're as prepared as you can be. But that still doesn't mean you're going to get the job at the end of it. But if you if you can control what you can control and not worry about anything else, and you can be kind of at peace with that, can't you? A little bit. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't mean don't prepare for it. It is it exactly it means exactly that. It means that. You know, if if you're telling yourself that it won't happen or it, it will be okay, then you almost by definition aren't preparing for it. Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, like, the, the example of like rain. You don't you don't get angry when it rains. You don't you don't start trying to punch the rain or start screaming because <laughs> you've learned to expect the rain, especially coming you know from England. You know, you know that yeah, yeah. the rain is coming. And if you expect the person who expects the rain will have an umbrella, and the person that doesn't that says yeah. it's going to be sunny all day won't have one. So, it's. Uh, <laughs> That's that's the kind of the kind of basic basic idea of it. But it's um, I think, oh sorry, I was just going to say you can see that in jujitsu. 
right? You can, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people coming in who think, you know, watched a few UFCs and think this is going to be easy. I'll, you know, I, I, I can, yeah. I'll be all right with this. And then the hard reality of of the sport smashes into their expectations of, of what was going to happen. And you know, people, some people can, some people don't deal with that very well because of that. And you know, I think, yeah. Going back to that thing about controlling what you can control, a lot of time people look at, again, like say, you, say you're rolling with someone which is sparring, for those who don't know, at the end of a, a jiu-jitsu class or whatever, and you look at the partner who you're paired with, and you look at maybe they might be a lot stronger than you, a lot bigger than you, but if you're objective and not think about what they're trying to do and you try and implement your own game, whatever that game may be, and think about the steps needed to maybe escape a position, you're not worrying about someone else you can't control. You just need to be control your breathing, think about the steps needed to escape the position, and have that have that kind of white belt mentality all the time that it's okay to lose sometimes. It's okay to fail and get things wrong as long as you're trying to get better all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and that it will happen. You will fail. That's the you know yeah, the, yeah. The, the mentality you've got to have like for, yeah. for almost anything, isn't it? Like you know you're not gonna if you're a hundred meter sprinter. You can't just say I'm gonna run as fast as Usain Bolt straight away. You know you. <laughs> got to tell yourself that i'm going to be i'm going to be crap for at least a decent amount of time and, and then within that you can you can plan realistically you can prepare realistically for things oh, and i've been reading quite a bit so like i said i was reading stoicism quite a bit i got really into stoicism um, ryan holidays another another author who he written uh, ego is the enemy and the obstacle is the way so if something is if something is impeding your progress then that is the way you've got to go so you don't I don't know, for example, I can use it as an example. So say, okay, so say setting up these podcasts, if I had anxiety about maybe listening to my own voice or seeing myself on camera or nervous about what I was talking about, that's the reason why I didn't do them. So that is the obstacle. Then that is the way I've got to go. Do you know what I mean? I've got to, the obstacle yeah, is the yeah. way. That is the way I'm going to grow. I'm going to get better by going towards the obstacle and not diverting around it. Because that obstacle is always going to be there, isn't it? I'm always going to have these anxieties these fears whether it's fear of failure fear of looking stupid if i don't go towards the obstacle then them fears are always going to be there aren't they you know? yeah exactly that, that's um that's seneca as well right For, uh, absolutely yeah that's that's you know the you should expose yourself to it it's not it's not even just about preparing for it it's purposefully exposing yourself to it i think he said something ridiculous like were rags and drink and the water out of the bowls that animals drink from and stuff like that but... that's, in one of his, that's in one of his letters about dealing with um sophia what's the word now um almost like fear setting so if if you can think of the worst thing possible even in this current climate now so say people are fearing for their jobs people have lost businesses but if you almost set yourself up for the worst case scenario so like you said seneca dressed in in rags for a week at a time he, he ate rice and beans or something like that yeah, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> he, slept on, he slept on the floor, and afterwards he thought, well, obviously I'm paraphrasing, and he was like, that wasn't actually that bad, so the worst thing that I envisioned wasn't actually really that bad, so anything else that happens, I can I can handle it. So. And he, was, he, he actually had to do that pretty regularly as well, right? Like doing, you know, every, I think he said like every year or something like that, live out the yeah. harshest conditions that you can possibly, and, and probably not like the most relevant to do it exactly like he was doing it today. <laughs> You know, the principle is there, isn't it? I think it's really important yeah. to expose yourself to the hard path and not, you know, not necessarily take the easy route. Have you listened to any Jordan Peterson? Pardon? 
Have you listened to any Jordan Peterson? I was just going to mention him then because I've been. Uh, I, I, I kind of um, drift. So I went from stoicism. I still try and adopt a lot of stoic philosophy in my life and the way I live in that leg. But that sort of just, whether whatever you want to call it, I just ended up gravitating towards Jordan Peterson. He was on Rogan a few times. Yeah, He's been, yeah. I read his book, um, The 12 yeah, Lessons yeah. of Life or whatever. Like, Yeah, and 12 Rules for Life. 12 Rules for it, yeah. And a lot of his, one of the things that really sticks out is that he's a big proponent about suffering. Life is suffering. I know that's quite a Buddhist philosophy as well, but... Go doing the hard route, taking the hard route. Life is not easy, is it? It's it's all about suffering and being being comfortable in that yeah. uncomfortableness almost, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That, that jujitsu quote of get comfortable being un, uncomfortable. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Insane. Cause, because at some point, as he says, something like the storm will come, right? There's a, yeah. there's a storm for everybody at some point, and it's however exposed you are and however ready you are, and it's a really stoic kind of philosophy that he, that he, that he has there, but I think um, that's, that's really valuable, isn't it? It's valuable, yeah. Because yeah, everyone's dealing with adversity every day. You, 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 one of the things that I'm starting to come around again, looking at this, how my model of the world is different to your perception of the world and that. Everyone's dealing with stuff that people don't know anything about. So like what I'm dealing with behind closed doors, nobody else knows. Same with you, same with everybody's going through these little storms or little um, facing adversity on a daily basis. And life is hard, isn't it? At the end of the day, like, I'm not trying to fool anyone. Life isn't a film that's going to be like the Rocky story. Life is hard, and yeah, there are going to be struggles and pitfalls. And yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about uh, that being the underlying philosophy of Buddhism as well, which is which is true. And it's uh, it's it's pretty much the underlying philosophy of most religions, um, even you know, even Christianity. Um, it's it's, the, the idea of suffering, do you mean that? Yeah. Yes, I mean, what I think is one of the most useful parts of philosophy. So I'm not a, a religious person at all. I don't know if you are, Dave, or if you. If you... No, no. no same. I'm, I'm, I'm not religious at all, but I, I find that uh, one of the most useful branches of philosophy is um, uh, philosophy of religion, and specifically looking at the idea of evil and suffering, um, which is a really, it's just kind of, you know, linked to what we were, we were just talking about there with the Stoics and with, you know, with Jordan Peterson's specific outlook because i know he's a, he's a christian isn't he? he's uh yeah. but he has a unique kind of look at perspective on, on christianity but um but is the, the problem of evil and suffering in philosophy is basically that if uh, if a god exists that's loving and compassionate and all-powerful then that god should observe your suffering and snuff that suffering out immediately and you know that there should be no suffering if a god exists yeah um, and the responses to those because obviously christians kind of We've responded to that over the last, you know, thousand years, and uh, maybe even, you know, further back than that, uh, maybe even further back than Christianity as well. Um, the way that they respond to it is, is to basically rationalise suffering. Why do people suffer? What's the what's the purpose of suffering? And even if you take God out of that equation, those answers to those questions were were some of the great philosophers of all time are trying to rationalise suffering, right. end up being some some of the most useful and actual actually helpful philosophies even if you're not trying to prove that god exists even if you're just yeah. answering it what's the you know what's the purpose of it so like um a modern philosopher called uh, richard swinburne was again he was thinking specifically about god and trying to prove that god exists but the modern philosophers kind of take this different different way with it and um he was saying that if you don't have suffering if you don't have real suffering then you can't have real 
good in the world either. So, for example, like you can't have like generosity can only exist or charity can only exist when there's when there's poverty. Yeah, yeah, you can't you yeah. can't have there's no such thing as as um you know as as the good without without the suffering that goes with it as well. So, so it's I kind of that like balance, like the yin and the yang, that kind of that idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's um. But yeah, I think um, and you know, the is his kind of like um, contemporary as well. John Hick was would say like a, it's the whole purpose of you being here is is to to suffer and grow through it. He called it growing your soul. Is what he actually called it. Um, but it was the idea of um, that you know if if you you're supposed to expose yourself to this the difficult route, um, and if the world was easy and if the world had absolutely no suffering in it. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be a world worth living. It would be a world that was entirely immoral. There would be no, there'd be no morality at all because there would be no opportunity for, for morality. There'd be no opportunity for good without evil. So it's, it's what, was the, what was the term? Growing your soul. Is that what you said? Yeah, you call it, it's um, it's John Hick. He's called, but he, he was speaking about it in terms of obviously he's still trying to prove he's a Christian. He's trying to prove the existence of of a God and evil and suffering at the same time. But a yeah. lot of that is philosophy is really useful. And um, you know, he, 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 but yeah, he called it growing your soul. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Olga's just made an appearance. Hello, <laughs> growing your soul like that. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. What's what's the guy's yeah. name? John John Hick. John Hick. Yeah, yeah. John Hick. He's called. It's really. It was just some really interesting philosophy about um, you know, about this. He kind of takes it a step further than the than the Stoics, if you will, and it's it's not just about predicting. Um, and being realistic about suffering for the future, it's it's the it's that it's absolutely essential for your happiness. It's absolutely essential for good in the goodness yeah. in the world at all. You can, it's almost like a, a paradox. You can't have it without you can't have any goodness. You can't have any morality without without suffering. So it's yeah. it's a it's like a step further than the Stoics, if you like. So that and that's kind of Jordan Peterson's stance, isn't it? He, he talks about all that, all that, doesn't he? Yeah, you can see him be, being a Christian. He's probably massively influenced by Hick. I bet he, I bet he you know, know a lot about Hick and Swinburne. So yeah, quite like I've tried to listen to some of his lectures on uh, iTunes as a podcast. He does lectures, and they're not obviously he knows what he's going to say, but they're not like pre-scripted in terms of he reads. He he, he has an argument with himself during his. I don't know if you've listened to any. Yeah, he, I've listened to a few lectures on YouTube. He kind of like he's he's having this back and forth with himself when he's trying to argue and present these these concepts and these ideas about god about um what it really means and using what i'm really interested in is is like the myths i'm not like i said i'm not really religious but listening more to jordan peterson about the way he tries to explain the the first testament specifically the stories how the myths the myths behind these stories and what they're really like trying to explain and parables what they actually stand for and how we can relate to them i find that fascinating yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, I, I think the his, his interpretation of the Old Testament is really interesting because he he doesn't he doesn't really believe in God, but he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's a really it's a really weird perspective on Christianity. Yeah. He almost views the whole thing as like a psychological map, really. Of um, you know, I mean, if you look at like the and he talks about this with the Adam and Eve story. You know, I mean, if you people often cite the Adam and Eve story, and again, I'm not a Christian or anything, but, you know, people often cite the Adam and Eve story and go, you know, religion, Lord of bollocks, because, you know, how can you have a talking snake and we know the first two, but all, all the evidence suggests that it's not, it was never meant to be taken literally true. Um, and it's I, just a story that 
is relating a deeper a deeper message within it. Yeah, and, and the message is evil and suffering for for the for uh, for Adam and Eve. That's the that's the kind of point of that story is is why do we suffer? And the ultimate point of of that whoever wrote that way before Christianity, because that's a you know a old Hebrew text, maybe even older than that. Um, is that it's you, it's us, it's, we suffer, where the Adam and Eve are a metaphor for every human being and the, the talking snake that convinces them to eat the apple from the tree is the, is the voice of temptation in your head that tells you to, to not do or to do the thing you absolutely know you should or shouldn't do. So yeah. it's, without, that, without that test almost, then we'd have the life that you spoke about earlier where there's no, without the suffering, there's no enjoyment of anything, there's no reward from anything. Yeah. This like banal life that doesn't mean anything if there's no like good bad suffering all yeah, that kind yeah. Of thing, yeah you have to have both right you have to you have to have that balance of both but um but yeah i mean the you know the uh, that old old testament story that most people just will just write off i think it's you know there's there's definitely something to that there's definitely something interesting in the that idea of like the you know everyone's got that snake in, yeah, yeah. In, everyone's got that voice of temptation that says you know just don't go to you know, class tonight, or just, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and the stuff, and you, and everyone can relate to, you feel so much better when you ignore that voice, and when you don't ignore that voice, that is, yeah. that is suffering, that's where that, that's where you, because like, every, there's a lot of people who have different terms for that inner voice, so like, Joe Rogan refers to it as you're in a bitch, there's Steve Peters who calls a chimp, the chimp paradox, yeah. um, you've got, um, I think Will's story written, the science of storytelling, calls it the inner narrator because it's trying to make stories up. Yeah. Um, there's loads of different kind of terms for this. Yeah. Whether I it mean, is the inner, the inner temptation to to have a day off, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. And I think, like, the fact that somebody wrote that story, which is basically that, that's what the Adam and Eve story is, is, is you know, Joe Rogan's inner bitch is basically <laughs> that, that story. Um, to think that somebody wrote that 3,000 years ago, and have that kind of insight into into human understanding. One shows you that we've not really changed that much, and you know, two, there's probably some useful stuff in somewhere in that uh, in that book. So, yeah. is that is that the stuff you try and because you, you said you you, you teach um, philosophy, religion, and ethics? Is that what you said? You, you yeah, teach? yeah. So is that how you try and teach the religion without because you're teaching religion without being religious yourself? Yeah. Is that kind of the stuff that you try and put across to the the students that? There's a deeper understanding without actually believing there's a an all creator who created the whole earth and that there's a deeper understanding behind it all. Absolutely, yeah, that's exactly the way that I go at it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's the only way. I think most you know ninety ninety percent of kids are are atheists and pretty you know at, at that age, like I was as well, and I'm sure like most people were when they were you know kind of fourteen, fifteen, were pretty you know strong atheists with really strong views and. And I think if you if you just go in and, and start teaching it without putting it into some kind of context and some something you know and, and it's probably the most important way to look at it as well. But yeah, that's that's exactly how I go. I, I just you know I try and explain it as how how this is useful and how you can derive something out of it even without believing in in a god. Yeah, it's it's like when you you said before that what was the statement in philosophy that you know nothing that. You know that you know nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah. All I know is that I know nothing. All I know is that I know nothing. So, because I often refer to myself as like an atheist. So let me get the, the definition of atheist is that you don't believe in a God. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you, it, it's probably more accurately is you believe in the non-existence of a God. So to say that you don't believe. Sorry, go on. 
Say that again. Like um, so, like it, a theist believes in believes in God. An atheist believes that there isn't one. Um, and if you so if you if you don't believe in a God, you will probably classify yourself more as an agnostic because it doesn't mean you believe that there is definitely not one either. If that makes sense. And again, An atheist doesn't necessarily an atheist doesn't have a question about it. There's no there's no does a God exist? They don't question the idea of God. They say that there is no God. And a, a theist said that again wouldn't have a question about it, but would say there is a god. And and so that most, yeah, be, there is something, but they don't know what it is. It's it's just more of a kind of I don't know position. And I think right. so. Most, I'd say most, I'm more agnostic than I would say I'm more agnostic. I think. I think most people are. Most most people are because it's not something that you can well, necessarily. That, that original question in it. What we said at the beginning, or you said at the beginning that. I know that I don't know. How, how can you say really that there is no God? Definitely, you know what I mean. Yeah. We don't know, do we? Yeah, exactly. And it's um, you know, it's like you should, you know, there's a, a, an argument called Russell's teapot in in philosophy as well, which is basically the idea that you you shouldn't believe in something just because you can't prove its non-existence either. So, but also you shouldn't disbelieve in something just because you can't. Prove, you get the idea, right? So the yeah, agnostic- is, it, is it is that the um. Oh, what is it? What they refer to the evidence of? Oh, I don't matter. I'll come back to that. I can't remember what they refer to it as. Something like you, the evidence that something doesn't exist, rather than the evidence that. Oh, never mind. I'm confusing myself with that. Go on. Yeah, what are you going? you going at though? And it's, it's basically that point is that like maybe the most logical, it's seemingly the most logical position to take is agnosticism. It's that it's you yeah. know, it's, it's, uh, but most people classify themselves as atheists and they're actually agnostic. Um, a lot of people, especially like younger ones who just because they've never heard the word agnostic, they know what atheist means. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the parents have said we're an atheist family or whatever. But actually, most people, especially if you're kind of like, you know, like like you open minded and you like to really, you know, you've studied philosophy and you, you, you know, or if you're just the kind of person who just, you know, is not. Um, ask, yeah, I don't think you can be. You can't be that. Knowing that everything, like not knowing, but. Being open-minded enough to realise that we are not the be-all and end-all, that we don't know if there's something else. You can't be that like, what's the word? Just concrete that like, yes, there isn't a god. There's nothing else there. Yeah. Gotta be open-minded. That was what I was trying to say before. The the evidence of absence and the absence of evidence. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The evidence of absence is not the absence of evidence. That's also, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Something like that. Um, right, yeah. Well, yeah, what, what you were saying then is, is literally what, what philosophy is. That is exactly what philosophy is, is the idea of, you know, of, of being open-minded, of, of admitting that it might not be, you know, you absolutely don't know and, um, you know, the majority of things. And what, what philosophers try and do is to, to build on as much as they possibly can what they think is true knowledge. Um, so they, they, it's more of a knocking down process at the start, philosophy, and then a building up process afterwards. Um, but that's... What was it that Richard Richard Dawkins said? I think it was in the. Have you read the God Delusion? I've never read it, no. But I know quite a bit about Dawkins. I've never read it, but didn't he, didn't he say that? Um, again, this isn't my opinion. Like it's just what I read. What he said. If you if you are religious, by definition, you're an atheist because you only believe in your God. All the other gods don't <laughs> exist in any other religions. So, yeah. if you are religious and you're Christian and you believe in one God, by definition, you're an atheist because no other gods exist. <laughs> yeah. 
It's uh, Ricky Gervais said something similar to that as well. He said, um, some guy said to him, I don't understand how you don't, you know, how you can't believe in God. And he said, I, be I don't believe in God the way, this exact same way that you don't believe in the 99,000. <laughs> I just, I just oh, do God. one more than you. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I thought that, like, you know, philosophy of religion for most people is, is something that they go, oh, switch off you know I, I don't believe in god so this isn't relevant to me and you know i, I did that at first when i started studying it in university and i just thought this the particular module i was doing i just thought it wasn't wasn't relevant and I actually found it by the end to be the most relevant i thought it was the most interesting yeah. by the end of, um, so is that how you got into it then you you took maybe like a lesson and something really resonated with you and you was like ah there's a there's a deeper understanding here what i'm not really switched on to and that's just how you got deeper and deeper into it yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a I had a really good teacher for G for GCSE RE who basically just decided that she was going to do philosophy with us, um, and then she went on to champion philosophy in in schools and uh, ended up writing the course that I'm teaching now. Um, so uh, and I've, I've ran into her. I ended up getting in touch with her not not too long ago actually um, for the first time since I left school. Um, but I had her, she was a she was a brilliant teacher and then I went to college and I had a, a fantastic uh, A level teacher called Jamie Swan who introduced me to metaphysics and um, you know uh, and uh, philosophy of perception and some of the stuff that we talked about today that kind of goes all the way back to, to uh, A level and then for some reason when I started university I decided I was going to do business studies in oh, university yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I just so well, I do know why, because everyone told me you'd never get a job with philosophy. So, um, which is kind of true, to be fair. So, uh, I, I did business, and then I, it just wasn't for me. It just wasn't. It, it just didn't sit right with me. And I did. I, yeah. I barely attended, and and then I decided I was just going to go back and redo my redo my first year, and I moved in and uh, studied. I went and begged the philosophy teacher, uh, philosophy department, to let me on because I'd proper wasted my A level and really didn't do that well at A level. So. Um, I, had to, I had to grovel a little bit and for some reason they decided to let me on and then uh, yeah I never never looked back it was a, probably the best decision I've ever made to go and do that so uh -huh. yeah. going back to um, metaphysics I want to well, I want to hear you talk about because something that fascinates me but I haven't got a clue about the concepts behind it but you said one of the like the founding sort of tenets of metaphysics one of them is time is that right yeah so how is yeah. time thought about in, in metaphysics? Because when I've tried to read stuff about like Einstein and the theory of relativity and all that and talk about time, it's not time as we know time, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is uh, this is not my area of expertise. <laughs> Sorry, it's more than, yeah, it's the it's. I'll be completely honest with you, Dave. This is not uh, this is not something I, I know a whole lot about. I know I've seen the film Interstellar though. And, uh, <laughs> that film by any chance so it, no. that's about as much of a scientific understanding of, of time that i've got there but uh but it's i, I, I look more of the, the the kind of knowing and identity side of things but uh Talk about identity then because that's another thing that interests me i does it mean identity as in us as us as humans how we identify with each other or is it a, a deeper yeah, kind of. So, something you were talking about before kind of made me think about it. Do you, remember, you were you were saying um, you know when you'd finished um, with the police and and you yeah. you felt kind of lost and you weren't sure kind of where you know who who you were. Um, that's that's a really big big problem in philosophy as well. Is who are we? What 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 are you? Um, and you know, there's a few different. That's been tried to be answered throughout almost every generation of philosophers. 
Uh, but there's a, um, I can't remember what the actual proper word for the problem is because I always use the, the sugar babes as an example. Do you remember the band the sugar babes? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, um, they eventually had the, they, they kept swapping people in and out until eventually they were. This is the most bizarre example I use. I, I, I use it. I think that we were going to end up talking about sugar babes, to be honest, in this, uh, in this conversation. <laughs> you can't not talk about the sugar babes. But, uh, <laughs> Are, I, I don't think I've ever listened to a Sugar Babe song, but it's the um, the they had people kind of leave the band um, one by one until eventually they were a, yeah they were a completely different band um, and uh, sometimes you use the example of a bike right so if you if you have a bike that's your bike and you give you give the bike a name and you call the bike Harry or whatever and um, you you love your bike it's your bike you know the bike and it, yeah. your bike has an identity because you've given it one it's it's Harry it's your bike. And um, then you change the handlebars on it. And is it still your bike? Is it still Harry? <laughs> I've just thought of the best example ever for that. You remember Only Fields and Horses? When Trigger, Trigger wins an award for having the same broom, because he's a, he's a road sweeper, isn't he? He wins oh, an award yeah. for having the same brush for like 30 years and saving the council money. And he's like, <laughs> uh, I've had the same brush for 30 years. It's had 23 new heads, 15 new handles. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's um, it's 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 a, a problem with this. It's the same with us, right? We're we're not the same. You know, we change ourselves piece by piece. Even at a physiological level, we every cell in our bodies at seven years or something like that. Every every single yeah. cell yeah. in your body is completely different than it was before. You're not the your same. Skin, your skin is constant, constantly like falling off and replacing itself and growing, isn't it, and all that, even like at a excess cellular level, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, even... What's the famous, um, if a man steps in, a man will never step in the same river. Same river twice, yeah. Because yeah. it's not the same river and it's not the same person, yeah. That was some ancient Greek philosopher, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I, I think it might have been. All oh, right. Well, um... But yeah, it's the, you know, it's the, we, we think about ourselves as, as a solid thing. I am I'm me, and I've always been me, but the, that might not be the best way, of, best way of looking at things. The best yeah. way of you know, looking at it might be to say that I'm not, I'm not the same person as myself, even from, you know, from year to year. It might get into a problem, though, if you take that too far and you say I'm not even the same person as that I was a moment ago. Yeah. Um, so this is where's, where's the hard thing is where's that balance of, you know, of, of what you think of yourself as you think of, you know I'm, I'm i think of myself as a teacher and then but then if i leave that profession am i still me am i still am i i'm a different person now or you know if you, if you leave your partner if you've been with for a long time are you are you still are you still the same person and that might you know might not even be a question that makes much sense to ask yourself who you are as a as a as a person but it's um, is there a definitive answer then to it that's philosophy, isn't it? There's no such thing as definitive answers. It's, uh, <laughs> that's why people think it's entirely useless. But uh, but I mean, there's I mean, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre in, uh, was is one of the great um, 20th century philosophers from from uh, France. He was I don't know if you've heard of ex existentialism. Um, I have heard of it, but I don't really know what it is. But I have I think I have heard the word like yeah. So they were really concerned with like identity and, 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 and kind of who you are. And John, John Paul Sartre basically said that what we're doing is we're acting. Everything's acting. There's no such thing as identity. It's not, um, you know, you are, you are basically, you call it bad faith. 
So he, was, he said he was in a cafe in, in France watching the waiter be a waiter. He was he was acting, doing all the things that a waiter should do. And, and we basically do that in every aspect of our life when you're when you so with your friends. Environment. We're a different person in a different environment. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And there's no such thing as a, a constant identity. It's not that you change from, you know, over time. It's that you change immediately depending on... The, the situation that calls for it, but it, and it's conscious as well. You you are like consciously acting. Um, but you do... I mean, I'm a different person at home with my wife than I am with my mates if we're out. Yeah, yeah. I'm a different person stood in front of a jiu-jitsu class than I am when I'm at work, sat at my desk. Yeah. So yeah. So, but I'm but I'm every different role. That is me. But yeah. I'm not that raw when I'm in at home with yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, it's it's like there's no such thing as as, as you. It's basically what Sartre's trying again. I, I don't know much about Sartre. It's kind of a simple understanding, but it's yeah. not. You know, there's, it's it's um it, it's it's almost a stupid question to say who who are we? Um, you're just a basically what what we are for Sartre is actors. We're, we're bad actors it's... moving from one role to another constantly, which is kind of not not the uh, not the happiest of. <laughs> but I I'm, getting gist, I'm getting the gist that a lot of philosophy is quite like I know there's a bigger bigger picture and a bigger meaning, but on the surface they're all quite depressing, aren't they? Yeah, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty bleak to be honest, most of the uh, most of philosophy. But like I said, that's this usually like the what we've kind of been talking about is like the first parts of everyone's philosophy, if you like. It's it's and like I said, philosophy at first is knocking down its kind of breaking down what you think is the reality of something of identity of knowing of space yeah. of or whatever of evil and suffering break down the reality of it first and then build up some kind of theory out of that as opposed to you know just kind of leaving it in in tatters so like Sartre won't, won't leave it there for example he'll you know it's like well what, what do we do about that then what's the what's the way to live in that world then if we are um doing you know but it's um yeah. Yes, it is pretty bleak for the most part. Though I'll, I'll admit that it's not, it's not the cheeriest of uh, of subjects, which is why I like the Stoics because they they sound bleak. Uh, and that's why I like the Stoics because they you know they sound bleak, but actually it's pretty some pretty I useful. That's, I think that's the the misunderstanding, isn't it? Where when people think of Stoic and it like you think, oh, my parents were Stoic, which meant they didn't show any emotion. They had a stiff upper lip. Yeah. yeah. No, like nothing. You know what I mean? There was no like sitting down talking about stuff. Everything was like carry on regardless don't show any emotion but actually when you read more into it it is quite compassionate and it is thinking about things objectively and your behaviors why do you behave in that way questioning your behaviors and all that kind of thing it is it is more than what people perceive it to be i think on the surface yeah 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 um, really um inspired we went to before all this corona uh, epidemic kicked off we, we went to Rome. I've never been to Rome before, but we was in Rome, like January, February. And um, we've got all the wonderful sort of historical sites around Rome, the Colosseum, the Vatican. We went and did all that. The one thing on my list I wanted to see, Marcus Aurelius' his statue. That was the one thing that I wanted to see. Like, and we, we... Where is that? Where is the statue? So the original statue, there's only one. There's only one left, one remaining at the moment, and it's in a museum. So Capitol, the Capitol Hill, where there's the big sort of building on top of Capitol Hill. Yeah. There's a museum there. 
uh, and the actual original statue is in there. He's on his horse. Um, I'll send you a picture of it after that, but he's on his horse in, in the museum. But a replica of it is in the courtyard outside of this museum. Just, right. on, just on Capitol Hill. And, uh, well, you know, isn't it? It's a, it's a great city. Brilliant. Yeah. Did you go to the forum? Pardon? Did you go to the forum? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Looking at it. And we went there. We went the The first day we was at the... Um, Oh, I can't even remember what it's called now. The Gladiator. Oh, Coliseum. Coliseum. Yeah, I couldn't get any words out then. We went to the Coliseum and we had a we had a, a few of the tall things on there and that. And what I, what I didn't really know, and you might know more about this than me, like because you, you've got a, a, an interest in history as well, haven't you? That yeah. I just assumed that it was it was built and always used for gladiatorial combat, but it was actually a church more than it was a site for like gladiatorial. Yeah, yeah fights and that wasn't it yeah it was a church i was like so it was only used for a short space of time as as a games sort of arena yeah they put plays on and all sorts of things there didn't they as well i thought it was crazy that they filled it up with water and, and did um like reenactments of, of naval battles i know the whole bottom of it and it was, was crazy by that i know and then on this tour you can see where like the crosses in the middle of the the ground and that and where like the altar would be and I was like, wow, I just assumed that it was always used for the gladiators, yeah, not as a church. And I was I was quite blown away by that actually, like because yeah. I've always grew up like thinking about the gladiators and Sparta and all that. I've been obsessed by by stuff like that. And it wasn't like it's only been used for a few, maybe like I think it was 70 odd years it was used as glad a gladiator. Yeah, not that much. Grand scheme yeah. of things, not that much at all, is it? No, no. I just think it's amazing looking at what those guys were capable of doing, though, at the time that they were doing it, and how much of that is still standing. It's it's unbelievable. Rome's one of the the most amazing historical places you can go and see. And even even not being religious, I even enjoyed the Vatican as well. Just the yeah. the money and the wealth and the I don't know what the word is, but the gravitas behind everything. Yeah. There, it's just amazing, unbelievable. Yeah. 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 It is amazing. I think they they got all that, uh, you know, how they were able to build that. But, I mean, they were able to build it because they stole a lot of money <laughs> yeah. from all over Europe and brought it yeah. back to Rome. But it's still pretty amazing when you, you know, when you see the St. Peter's Basilica inside, it's, it's pretty crazy. I know, I know. Unbelievable, unbelievable. So just before we finish off, mate, if, what, if people are interested in some of the stuff we've been talking about, um, yeah. I know you've reeled off a few names already, but what are some good kind of books or people to look into or read up on? Um, it depends what kind of branch you're interested in. Um, so if you, I think if you want to know, if you want to think about metaphysics and, um, and and that kind of branch of philosophy interests you, that kind of first principles, a good good place to start is because a lot of it's like inaccessible. A lot of it's really hard to because it's all translated from you know 13th century German and you right. know. Uh, a really good place to start is uh, David Hume. Um, David Hume, Scottish philosopher, yeah, um, 17th century Scottish philosopher, um, and a great book called An Inquiry Concerning Human Understanding. It's only short. It's it's really uh, it's really easy to understand. Uh, you recognise the book. It's got a picture of a billiards table on the front. It's it's, uh, it's it's a really kind of recognisable, important work in philosophy. And it's, it's mainly about freedom um, and the idea that our actions might be determined. Um, but that that's a great that's a great starting point for uh, philosophy, uh, metaphysics. If you're interested in that. Um, 
any book, if you're interested in uh, existentialism, um, any book by Albert Camus is, is really, um, yeah, a French philosopher called Albert, Albert Camus. He, again, wrote really, really short books, um, but novels, philosophy, like kind of entwined in, in novels, which was something that the 20th century French philosophers used to do quite a lot. Um, so, like, really, like, you know, it, it's, it's really deep philosophy. It's really, like, complex philosophy, but written in a way that's actually accessible as opposed to, you know, trying to read some of the German phenomenology uh, and stuff like that. If, you know, if you're trying to read Heigl and Heidegger and uh, Heidegger and things like that, it's, it's hard to kind of <laughs> read it in the first place. But yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say uh, Acquiring with Concern and Human Understanding, Descartes' First Meditation is good, uh, and any book by Albert Camus is probably the best best places to start, I would say. Is that, it was the other guy you just said, Descartes? Yeah, René Descartes. So, is, that, uh, is, that, is that like... Is it pronounced? Is it Descartes? Is that how it's spelled? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Cartesius okay. is called sometimes as well as his Latin name that people call him. Yeah. I have come across his name before, but I didn't know it was pronounced like that. That was all. We had he's, Descartes. Yeah. He's the father of modern philosophy. He presented the problem of metaphysics that basically everybody from that point on, uh, I think it's sixteen hundreds. He was around. Uh, every single philosopher from that point on has basically tried to answer the problem that Descartes raised, which is they call it the cogito. Um, you probably heard the sentence before. I think, therefore, I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's the that's the fundamental problem of of metaphysics of existence of uh, basically like you know you can't prove that nothing but you exists is the the idea. <laughs> you just hurt me. Just hurt me, brain. I think, <laughs> therefore, I am. Yeah, but better translated mostly is I think, therefore, I exist. So um, if you if you've ever seen the film The Matrix. It's based, yes. that, the Matrix is based on Descartes' philosophy. Really? Um, yeah, so the idea that your senses can deceive you at any moment, you can, you know, how, you know, if you've ever had a dream that you think is real, uh, which yeah. is what they actually say in the Matrix, that, um, it's literally based on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, but, you know, how can you, you essentially can't prove anything because all you, all you, all you know and all you acquire are through your senses. Um, and your senses are flawed. You could, you know, your senses tell you things that aren't true all the time. If you ever had a dream that you are sure was a was real when you were in it, how can you be sure that this moment now is not? And he basically, I know he's, it's it's called radical doubt. Um, so he knows he's being extreme with with doubting it. But he says ultimately, if, um, to create a perfect system of knowledge, you have to have absolutely perfect knowledge. And knowing that you exist only as a, a thing that thinks is, yeah. is basically all you know uh, and all you can prove. And uh, so from that point on in philosophy, everyone was basically just trying to solve that, the cogito, trying to solve that problem. And that's kind of what David Hume was trying to do and John Locke and every, everybody who yeah. comes after him. So it's a, bit, it's a bit more advanced than the other ones that I've mentioned, but it's called the, the Meditation on First Philosophy. Um, and that's, that's René Descartes, and that's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. But a bit, of a bit of a headache in a book. <laughs> so. It's a good idea just off this conversation. But it's something I start to, I know the Matrix is quality as well. I love like trying to think about like some of the ideas behind that, that go on like in the Matrix film and that like yeah, powerful. Yeah, would, it's basically if, the same thing. If so. you knew that it was in a Matrix, or which pill would you take? I'd take the which one's the one that gets, sends me back to my normal life. So like, without... the red one is the ignorance is bliss one in it. So you forget okay. about it and you just the hamburger's the hamburger. <laughs> I'll take the red pill. I think red pill. I'd, it looked like a nicer world. I'd rather. I'd be that guy. Do you know who's eating the steak, talking to the agent? Yeah. Yeah. I know it's fake, but I love it. That, that's me. <laughs> that one definitely. There's one thing that I've been thinking about, and I think I've read it in 
Um, it might have been a Jordan Peterson book, but he talks about how how flawed we are as humans in that our sight, like a bit like we spoke about before, we can't see the full spectrum of colours. Our hearing, we've not got the full um, audible pitches. We can only hear a certain amount of um, pitches is the right word, isn't it? We can only hear a certain amount of pitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With our um, sight, hearing, so how can we how can we think that we are what we see is all there is if we can only see a certain percentage of like visual air, hearing, seeing? There must, you know what I mean? I think they were saying like bees bees see all the electromagnetic waves that are around. That's what they see when they look around, but we can't see anything like that. Yeah, so, yeah. And, like you know, birds have um, you know. And dogs have that sense of smell that they, they can pick up things that we don't even know. So another sense, yeah, the sense of smell, yeah. I know. But yeah, we think we're this all all being all powerful thing. But yeah, we, we are actually limited in what we can perceive when we yeah. look at things, when we look at the world. Yeah. I, I, hyper limited, aren't we? We're super, we're super limited to the things. And maybe there's, you know, something something else out there that can perceive a reality that, you know, that we can't. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It kind of brings us back to the the one of the opening statements that you made that quoting whoever it was who said it that I know that I don't know. We need to be more maybe open minded and question that. Yeah, well, actually, I don't know. I don't know shit really. Yeah. <laughs> that's where you got to start in, in philosophy. Really, that's that's the kind of the starting point of it. Is you know I don't know anything. I don't I don't know jack shit. So <laughs> madness. Well, you certainly give me um, some good stuff to think about there, mate. And I'm definitely going to be picking up some of them books for have a read. But um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to touch on before we go. No, I mean, I think uh, I've, I've probably bored people <laughs> for long enough now. It's like but I yeah. said, I mean, it's something that's interested me and I'm not academic whatsoever. And if it interests me, the chances are it's going to be interesting to somebody else as well. Like, so hopefully uh, it'll start asking people, people start asking themselves questions. And that's what it's ultimately all about. If we can yeah. improve ourselves more than we were yesterday, not comparing ourselves to others, but comparing ourselves to how I was yesterday. Ultimately, we can we can be we can be better. Absolutely. So that's the idea behind it. Like. Well, well, thanks for asking us on, Dave. I appreciate it. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, no, it's been a good conversation, mate. Yeah, it's been good. So uh, we'll end there, mate. Thanks very much for um, coming on. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Dave. Cheers. Right, no worries, Rob. See you soon, mate. See you soon. Thank you.